welcome to Two SoCal Gals. Josie, are you looking forward to the thrilling climax of the MLS season? You know, San Jose could break down, break ground on a new stadium and break the hearts of Galaxy fans on the same day, so it's a bit of a toss-up. Uh, well, this is Two SoCal Gals, the podcast where we talk anything and everything soccer with a SoCal slant. We'll begin today with World Cup qualifying. The MLS players scored five goals in the qualifier between Honduras and Canada, but MLS country Canada was embarrassed in that match 8-1. to one. Should MLS be promoting the Honduran national team the way they do U.S. and Canada? Yeah, this is an interesting question, and first I think we should preface this by saying uh, so long to the dream of the Commonwealth game. I had such high hopes. Yeah, and the 65 to 75% chance of them making it uh, through to the playoff. I mean, I think we both knew it was a long shot, but wow, was this a a surprising uh, performance in the end. But um, moving on to the question, um, you know, I don't think that there's a problem with sort of MLS or the MLS media, you know, not necessarily the official media, but just all of the the people who cover MLS, you know, shining a light on Central American countries, you know, on the players who are coming from there, on even following some of the leagues where possible, um, including Honduras, because I think that that, you know, helps uh, increase the knowledge of what's happening in the game. I think it also helps for scouting, you know, like, Jerry Benson was a player that I was familiar with, um, you know, sort of by name prior to him coming to New England. But between what he's done with New England and, and what he's done with his national team this year, you know, he's really been uh, quite an impressive player. And, um, you know, I, I don't think he's really a huge surprise necessarily if, if you know, there had been much kind of info out there about him. But um, I, I think the main thing is that Canada, I think, needs more attention still. Because I think that there seems to be this conflation, generally speaking, that the MLS equals the United States. And, you know, I think some of the coverage that's on MLS soccer is, you know, in, in recent months has improved sort of those attitudes a little bit, um, you know, regularly covering the Canadian national team, covering Canadians abroad, things like that. But I think they need to step it up because I think that there's still this misconception that. Canada is just kind of an add-on to the league, and I think they really ought to be considered an integral member of, you know, or an integral country of this league. Obviously, the number of teams are not the same as the United States teams, but still, there's three teams in the league, um, and I think the sort of media visibility needs to increase even more than it already has. What do you think? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, This really came to a head, I believe it was during the Olympics, when the MLS Twitter, uh, you know, was congratulating U.S. fans for the Olympic team's victory over Canada, and it was sort of like, oops, oh, that's right, we also have Canadian fans that are fans of MLS. Um, So, that's a no-bueno. But, to the point, uh, you know, should the Honduran team be getting more attention on MLSsoccer.com and that sort of thing? Um, you know, it's it's an odd duck because MLS is not in Honduras, but obviously it's pulling a lot of players from there, and they're building their national team using MLS. So, you know, just maybe a little more attention, a little bit more uh, just time paid to letting people know 
what these players that are popping up in the MLS and are having you know, pretty good careers internationally, giving them some love because they're doing well and they're going to be in the hex and you know, good job on, on to Honduras. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a dark horse certainly for making the the World Cup, and they they made the World Cup last time around too. So I mean, it's not like it would be a complete shock, but I think their Olympic performance obviously shows that they have. Um, you know, a, a lot of potential. But I'll say this last thing real quick. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might be, you, you could be in on this with me if, if it worked out. If there's any rich people out there listening to the show and they want to fund a, a website devoted to soccer in North America, Caribbean, uh, Central America, and they want to hire us to write about it and cover it properly, hit us up, right? Absolutely. North yeah. American soccer you know, Central American soccer, there's so much to be written about and it's just not being written, so. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's keep it in CONCACAF and uh, talk about Group A, where the United States and Jamaica qualified for the hexagonal, hexagonal round. Um, in the end, it came down to goal differential between uh, Jamaica and Guatemala. Do you think the right two teams advanced from the group? It's a difficult question to answer just because you're, you know, there are two teams that finished the same amount of points and got similar results. Um, so, you know, how do you differentiate the two? Obviously, they have the tiebreakers in place that they want to go with. Um, and a lot of what it comes down to is how the two teams played against the United States. You know, Jamaica got a better result on the road against the U.S. up in Columbus. Um, and Jamaica did better when they hosted the U.S. Uh, the, the argument against Jamaica is that they really didn't do much on the road other than defend. Like, they put everyone behind the ball and only scored one goal on the road. So, they both have good portfolios, but ultimately it was Jamaica that were the stronger team overall. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think, you know, to be honest, I didn't watch the other games in the group, you know, besides the ones that the U.S. was involved in. And so going by score lines and that sort of thing, it's kind of hard to get a picture of which team, you know, played better in the in the games that they weren't involved with the U.S. But, I mean, from what I saw, I'm with you. Jamaica looked like a much better team than Guatemala. And I think, you know, the, what you talked about last week with Guatemala being really shorthanded in, the, in uh, defense really came to fruition um, for the United States uh, this past week. But, um, you know, the other thing is that I think Jamaica might be on sort of a a high point or kind of moving upward in the trajectory at the moment and you know we're talking about MLS presence in other countries I mean Jamaica has a pretty good MLS contingent in their national team as well um, so you know they're another country that there's players that we're familiar with and there's players that we're not familiar with and it's going to be interesting to see how they if they can raise their game in the hex and, and, and really compete for it because it seems like at this point the initial projections are that they're the sixth best team in the in the hex, and it's I think it's going to be up to them to, you know, kind of change minds and, and opinions on that. Yeah, no, it, it's it's good that you brought up the center backs. I had honestly kind of moved on and forgotten about that. But you notice the U.S. goals on uh, on Tuesday, all right through the middle. Mm, it's uh, unfortunate. Well, moving on, Osvaldo Minda saw a few minutes for Ecuador. Uh, who are currently three points behind Argentina. 
they didn't make the 2010 World Cup, but what are Ecuador doing right? Uh, well, simply put, I'd say that they're taking care of the early part of their schedule. I think the later part of their schedule is a little bit tougher, but they're, you know, for the most part, getting good results um, in the first half. Um, and then they have two uh, forwards who are really coming through so far, and uh, Felipe Caicedo and Segundo Castillo. Both of them are chipping in goals on a regular basis, um, and, you know, they really look like they're on form right now. And to some extent, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it a little big partnership, but there's a little bit, you know, Caicedo is a huge guy, you know, really a bruiser uh, kind of forward, and Castillo's a little more wiry and, um, you know, a little more speed-oriented, I suppose, in his game. And so it's good to have a, a bit of diversity up front, and I think it's really paying dividends for them. And at the same time, you know, the defense is holding steady, and they're, you know, they're... Um, holding teams when they need to and, and on the whole it looks like they're doing pretty good yeah you really can't argue with uh with their form so far you know the only a plus three goal differential but you know they're still they're getting results even if they are narrow um they've only got two losses and one is a drubbing to argentina but that's what's going to kind of happen in this World Cup qualifying, um, and it's just it's an interesting qualifying with Brazil being taken out of the mix, and so we're kind of seeing uh, Ecuador, and uh, we talked last week about Colombia, and how uh, they've sort of have emerged in this qualifying uh, with not not having Brazil in the mix has allowed some of these smaller countries to kind of you know make a name for themselves, and I think it's a it's a good thing for Comebol. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think since the World Cup's going to be held in, in South America, um, obviously the disproportionate attention is going to be paid to Brazil, Argentina, assuming they qualify, and Colombia, assuming they qualify. Uh, if Ecuador gets in, I think they could really be a dark horse, not necessarily to win the tournament, but to potentially make a run, depending on, you know, who was in their group and that sort of thing. And, you know, they could be the Uruguay of of 2014 potentially so it, you know it'll be interesting to see how it how it shakes out mm -hmm. all right so let's turn to europe uh sweep up our uh tour around the world in world cup qualifying um group c had a big weekend with germany defeating ireland six to one that was something we saw coming and then drawing sweden four to four at home so what, what's going on in that group it, it, it. Well, we did predict six to one. Um, you know, Robbie Keane wouldn't have made a difference. The Germans just ran roughshod over Ireland. Um, but that group—Germany, Ireland, Sweden, and the Faroe Islands—you know—they played each other and then swapped and played the next set. Um, and in that little bunching, there were some really interesting results because you had Ireland getting drubbed 6-1 and Sweden kind of squeaking by the Faroe Islands. And so everyone was like, oh, wow, this little tiny country, they're, you know, up and coming. Eventually they're going to knock off someone with some of the stuff that I saw on Twitter. Uh, and then Ireland went in and kind of took care of business against the Faroe Islands, which if they were going to take out anybody it would be Ireland uh, and then Sweden has this miracle comeback you know at 
one point, Germany had outscored Ireland and Sweden 10-1. to And then on the road, you just had this great surge of goals. And I really feel like Germany just became complacent, uh, having that ease through their group. And suddenly, oh my god, what's happening? Which puts Sweden actually in a pretty good spot. Yeah, they do. And I mean, they have, you know, a perhaps the best forward in the world is Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and he, you know, he showed his quality in that game, but, um, you know, I was wrong, obviously, on, you know, Germany sort of cruising and, and not having any tests along the way. I mean, obviously, this was quite an embarrassment for them, but it also leads back to sort of the, some of their mistakes in the Euros, where they, you know, their defense was their real uh, Achilles heel. I mean, you know, again, they're still a, a very good team, but it seems like, you know, they have plenty going on in attack and uh, through the midfield, but the options become quite a bit more limited when it comes to defense, and it seems to really, sh you know, show in, um, in that collapse against Sweden. Um, I mean, I think the Faroe Islands, you know, among European minnows, I agree they're the most likely to, to beat a bigger country at some point, and they have a few times in the past, but... Um, you know, I think in the long run, the, the group's going to probably shake out the way that, you know, we expect to with, you know, being Germany and Sweden and then Ireland and then the Faroe Islands on the bottom. But, uh, you know, again, I was wrong last week, so who knows? It, it could, it could become all topsy-turvy. <laughs> As they say over in Europe. Um, well, that concludes our little trip to see where all the Galaxy and Chivas players ended up in the... Their qualifying matches. We are going to take a quick break and we'll come back with Adam Cierno, um, and it's going to be great, so stick around. Alright, boys and girls, we are here with Adam Cierno. Uh, you may better know him as LA Galaxy Insider, uh, but we all know that he's had a variety of jobs with MLS Soccer and, well, now with the Galaxy. Um, so we're going to go ahead and jump right into the questions. Bruce Arena had a monster of a quote this morning. Uh, I'll read it for those who haven't heard it. I'm not at all troubled by those two games at this point in my life. I'm moving on. I was not happy in the short term with those games, but now I've put it past me. I'm looking for greater things in life. I had a grandson born. We're in the middle of a heated presidential election. The U.S. lost a difficult Ryder Cup. The Yankees are hanging on for life. So I really don't give two sh about the last time we played San Jose. Uh, what did he mean here? What was his intent with this quote? Um, Josie, you're talking about a guy like Bruce who, you know, he likes to turn the page, so to speak. So he's not somebody that really stresses too much on those types of losses. And you're talking about a loss that happened, these were months ago, and the team has really become a different group since then so I don't really think a lot of people are saying well Bruce is being a little too blasé about San Jose they're our main rival we need to focus on them and really get upset about the fact that they lost and no in professional sports you're gonna get people who just they like to turn the page they really think that okay that game is over we moved on we're gonna look forward and just move ahead and you can admit that this galaxy team is just worlds different than they were back in may and especially back in june when this the first loss happened so 
It's been a while, and I mean, I really don't blame Bruce for saying that we're done thinking about it, but, you know, he is who he is, and he does like a good quote every now and then. It's true. It's true. Adam, uh, obviously you covered Chivas for about the first half of the season. Um, staying on the topic of coaches, do you expect to see Robin Frazier coaching Chivas in 2013? Uh, you know, Robin Frazier's really been, I think, a real improvement for that franchise, and he's really created something that is that I believe has the potential to work, but the results just have not gone in his favor in any way, shape, or form. So I would not expect him to stick around. Uh, they have new ownership, aka slightly old ownership because they were already in charge in the first place with Vergara taking firm control of the team. So I really wouldn't expect Frazier to move on. I would expect them to go potentially for a young Mexican coach, but it's a, it's a real loss. And I think Chivas is going to be at a loss because Robin Frazier is a very good coach. And I still believe that he could become a very good coach in this league. So it's going to be difficult, but I would be very surprised to see him on the touchline for Chivas next season. All right, well, going back to Galaxy and San Jose, uh, you bring up a good point that the Galaxy team is much different now than it was back then, but this is still the same San Jose team that will just attack for 90 minutes. Uh, has the Galaxy back line improved enough to slow down this attack um, when no one else really has been able to do that? Uh, you know, what it comes down to eventually is going to be focus. Um, San Jose has really developed this iconic sense about themselves because they have the ability to just pull results out of nowhere, out of thin air almost. So the Galaxy are going to need to stay focused for 90, 90 plus minutes. And it's going to be interesting to see when without a guy like Age de la Garza who brings so much, he's a very cerebral player. And you're going to see Tommy Meyer really tested, I would bet, from the beginning. And so it's going to be a really interesting battle and I would check to see if the Galaxy can really hold on but they're going to need to be at their very best uh, Todd Donovan's going to need a huge game because he's going to be going up against Marvin Chavez a very talented winger who's got speed for days so it's going to be a really interesting battle there mm -hmm. Alright we'll uh, finish up on this again since you I switched back and forth between the teams this season. Uh, I was wondering if you could share a favorite moment from your time covering Chivas USA. Uh, favorite moment from a time covering Chivas USA. Uh, I would say one of my favorite moments would have had to have been when I was there when they beat the Galaxy. Because I had never seen the locker room. I had covered that team for a, a year and a half then. I'd never seen them so excited, and it was great. They were all, all the guys were just so happy. It was like they won the championship. Uh, it was a really great performance, and you really thought that that team was sort of trending upward, and then it just all went downhill from there. So that was a great moment. Uh, I'll never forget because they do this after every win. They play um, Miss Jackson by the Outcasts. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that. Every time I hear that song, I'm going out for a run. I think of that moment because you had the guys dancing and they were so happy that they did this and it was such a gigantic deal to them.
Alright, well, um, I think the cops are coming for you, so we thank you for your time, um, and everyone knows where you can find Adam on Twitter. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. And we're back. And it's time to play Wordsmith. Alright, so our first one for the evening. What's the word for the New York Red Bulls late season front office shuffling? Uh, that's probably not much of a surprise, but I'm going to go with perplexing. Uh, I think this is a terrible time to mess with the organization of the front office. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that you know New York's form is tied to what's going on in the front office, but by firing, uh, I forget what his position was, but Chris Hack, who basically was in charge of trying to get fans in, in the stands you know, a few months ago and then clearing house with the GM and technical director and all that sort of thing uh, you know, not too long ago, I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I, I don't. I just don't see what what the difference is of, of doing it now or waiting at most probably a month. You know, at very most two months. You know, to to sort of let um, Solar go if they didn't really like what he was doing. Um, and then on top of that, Gerard Houllier is supposed to be running player personnel. Uh, that seems like it's pretty shady. But you know, I don't know. It seems like there's gonna be a lot more movement. Uh, you know, coming up for the Red Bulls anyhow, but uh, what's the word for you? I'm going to go with telling. Uh, um, the Red Bulls, for a while, it's been this sort of mystery. Like, they brought in all these DPs, and Thierry Henry is probably statistically the best player in the league. Don't tell San Jose. Um, but they don't seem to be churning out the results that uh, people have been expecting for the last, what, three years now that Henri has been here. Not that they've played badly, um, they've been a force in the East all those years, but, you know, still no MLS Cup, they, you know, no Supporters' Shields, not even really in the running for, for that. Um, so, because they had the talent, it was sort of assumed, oh, well, you know, they'll get it together eventually. But seeing these, this kind of turnover at this point in the season, it's just telling of how backwards things were in, in their front offices and why they have been struggling all this time. Yeah, there's a, a Red Bulls podcast called Seeing Reds. <laughs> they use the phrase, that's so metro. And I think that, that that's three words, but that seems to be appropriate for the situation oh, that's um so right. metro yeah that's so metro i love it um staying in the east what's the word for the chicago fire remaining near the top of the eastern conference and with the chance to finish the season in first place it's uplifting um chicago fire fans uh all season have dealt with doubters saying oh well, this club is boring or they don't have much of a chance they're gonna fall off eventually uh, and here they are toward the end of the season still right in the thick of it uh, they don't get the media attention that New York or Kansas City do um, they're sort of forgotten there in Chicago but there's this little engine that just keeps chugging and chugging and chugging along and it's got to be uh, a little bit of vindication for those who have believed in Chicago the entire way. Yes, your team is actually kind of good, possibly, maybe. Yeah, I think those are important qualifiers. Um, 
I'm, I said it's interesting, and I mean, that's a very bland word, but I think they're basically blandness personified, but, you know, like you said, they, they've managed to make it work, and, uh, you know, it's hard to sort of say, well, there's, you know, this one guy is the secret to their success, or their coach is the one that, you know, is really pushing them forward. I mean, I, I know a lot of Chicago's fans this season have been, you know, running pretty hot and cold with how Frank Klopas has done over the season, and, and obviously some of the uh, players they brought in to start the season were disasters, but, um, you know, they it seems like for two seasons running, they've, they've managed to find a way to, to put, uh, you know, a decent team together, and this season the difference is that they didn't start the season so poorly, and so they're in position to, um, you know, even potentially uh, win the East, which it, it still sounds kind of hard, you know, unbelievable to say, but but they're still in it, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it just it goes completely against the narrative, the idea that the fire could finish first, but you know there they are. Uh, moving on to our neck of the woods, uh, west of the Mississippi, what's the word for the for RSL and Seattle playing to a nil-nil draw? I'm going to say entertaining. Uh, I've been watching a lot of MLS games this season that are hard to watch, uh, mostly because of the team that, one of the teams that's involved. But, um, you know, this one was pretty exciting. This is one of those games that it was a nil-nil finish, but it was exciting despite it not having any goals, and despite there being a red card early on, it was still pretty open. Um, you know, would I like to have seen some goals, of course, but I still think, you know, it was a good battle between two very good teams and two teams who, you know, still, I think, uh, aren't gaining the headlines that some of the top, you know, the, the very top teams are, but I, I think are still obviously in the mix for, for the MLS Cup. Yeah, you know, I was watching uh, with a friend of the family who you know, used to ref soccer and really loves the sport, and you know, he's you know ooing and aahing through the entire thing, and you know, it, especially once uh, the Seattle was a, a man down, it was you know there was some stuff happening. It's not it wasn't your you know defensive drawn out nil nil draw. It was the uh, I think all the white said it's a, you know a purest dream, a well played nil nil draw. Um, but I think the word I'm going to go with, I'm going to borrow one from uh, Bruce Arena. Um, I just, I'm quoting this man all day today because he's had a really good session. Uh, he said, it was awful. And um, that's my word. It was awful in that, that surface up there in Seattle. I know they hate hearing it, but clearly having three different cleat-wearing teams running around on that surface has just destroyed it. Um, Bruce Arena called it like playing on a parking lot, um, <laughs> and it's just, you know, I can hear his gears turning in his head, you know, you're going to have David Beckham go up there and hurt himself on that really terrible surface and blah, 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 and, you know, it's just, it's not what you want to present on a Wednesday night in front of a national audience. Hey, look, we're playing on worn carpet yeah I mean uh, you know that's obviously a, a contentious issue and it looks like one that's not going to be resolved in favor of grass at any point in the you know coming future but uh, I mean one thing to say is that you know a lot of people have said that uh, since he got traded to Chicago Alvaro Fernandez has looked a lot better um, you know with Chicago and whether that's a matter of him being just with a different group of guys and playing a new formation or whether it's because 
the surface might have had something to do with, um, you know, the quality of this play overall. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, let's finish up with this uh, this one. What's the word for Chris Wondolowski's quest to break the single-season scoring record? He's got two games to get three goals. Uh, well, I think it's noteworthy. No, that's not strong enough. It's, but it's not amazing. I don't know. It's noteworthy. We'll go with noteworthy. Um, it, it deserves a lot of attention, more attention than it, maybe it's getting at the moment. It's a record that stood since 1996, so, you know, it's, it's been the league's record since the league started, and the league is still very fresh and very new. Uh, but, you know, Wondolowski, what he's done over the last uh, three years has been uh, just fantastic. Uh, he's a little goal-scoring machine. And uh, you know, now that goal-scoring has paid off in San Jose being a Supporters' Shield possible winner. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it deserves notes and articles and, and accolades and... I mean, he'll get the golden boot, but, you know, it's noteworthy. Yeah, I have a slightly more exciting word, but I think it's along the same lines. I I said it's thrilling. Um, You know, I know we're in SoCal. We're not supposed to be rooting for anything happening in NorCal, but I am really pushing for him to do this. I think it's, um, you know, even though he plays for the Earthquakes, it's one of those situations where it doesn't seem like it could happen to a nicer guy. He's been performing for the last few, you know, like you said, the last three years he's been on fire, basically. Um, and, you know, it, it seems like this is the kind of record that in order to sort of demonstrate that MLS is kind of moving up and the quality is getting better, that, you know, the single season scoring record has been around long enough. So, you know, I'm pushing for it all the way. I, I would really love to see him break it this season. I think it it would be a big accomplishment, and it would be pretty exciting for uh, for the league overall. Yeah, I I, I can't disagree with uh, any of those points specifically. Uh, it, it is good for the league. Uh, it does show that the league uh, has you know really made a lot of progress uh, since its founding. Um, but still, it's in the back of my mind. You know, it's it's an unbalanced schedule year and. There's a lot more games played now with more teams, so I guess maybe it was coming, and I don't know. It's a big-ish deal, but I'm just not quite convinced yet that it's a really big deal, but it is a big deal. Yeah, um, he still has to do it, so, you know, this could be premature talk, so we'll, we'll see if he does it. This is true. Um, well, considering what happened this afternoon, I think we're going to end a little differently, and just, Alicia, is there something non-soccer-specific sporting-wise that you want to talk about? Oh, uh, I think there's going to be a World Series happening pretty soon. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I heard something about the Yankees got swept, and wh- what was the team that swept them? Uh, oh, Detroit, that's right. Um, no, I, I'm from Michigan, like I think I talked about recently, uh, so I, I grew up a, a Tigers fan, and I, I I do have a lot of love in my heart for the Dodgers, um, but I, I'm a Tigers fan first and foremost, and, and they're going to the World Series. They've swept the Yankees. They're headed to the World Series. Hopefully they can pull it out. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person that gets too emotional usually, but, uh, 
you know, I had tears in my eyes a little bit today when I was watching uh, the game and, and the, the aftermath, so it, it's pretty exciting. I don't blame you, and as a Dodger fan, either you're going to face the um, <clears throat> Giants or the Cardinals, and so either way, go Tigers, go, yeah. go Tigers. For sure. Um, but that's going to do it for us uh, this morning. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Rockin' Josie, and at least at where can we find you? At Soccer Musings on Twitter. Alright, well, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Have a good weekend, guys.